You are listening to a multi-part teaching series on the gifts from God as it pertains to the body of Christ. These were recorded during our weekly Rescue Church Life Group meetings. All right. Uh, we're going to be talking about gifts. This is part one of at least a three-part series. And so there are different gifts. And uh, we know that James 1, 17 says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And so if it's not good and it's not perfect, it's not from the Father. And so that doesn't mean the Father can't use it. It just means he may not have sent it. And so that's that's important. Like, God, I don't poison my kid to develop character in them. Um, you know, so that's just something, you know, people uh, many times blame God for the things that they don't understand. And um, he's actually not the source of their pain. Uh, he's actually the source of their healing. So that's just something to consider. Every good and perfect gift. This is James writing Jesus' half-brother. And um, so he, he actually saw the Father through Jesus. And so Jesus is the exact representation. He's expressed image of his person. He is the invisible God made visible. God incarnate. He put on skin. And God wanted us to see what he was like so bad that he put on skin in Jesus of Nazareth. So if you can't see it in Jesus, it's not God. Anyway, John 3.16, another gift. For the Father loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 6.23, eternal life is referred to as a gift from God in Christ. So that's, that's important uh, to remember and to understand. In Acts 2.38, the Holy Spirit is re, uh, referred to as a gift of God. So this is important. Um, gifts are important. And um, what I want to get at today is the fivefold ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, and the pastor. And if you recall the story of the woman at the well in John 4, uh, verse 10, Jesus referred to himself as the gift of God. And so this is um, one of the same words used uh, in the fivefold ministry gifts. And so Jesus is referring to himself as a gift from God. And so he's saying, if you knew the gift of God uh, was before you, you would ask for living water. And so the, the gifts we're going to see, there's gifts that are people. There's gifts that are how people are hardwired. And then there's gifts that are uh, spiritual uh, manifestations that communicate and demonstrate the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So Romans 12 is gifts that are hardwired. Uh, Ephesians 4 is gifts that are people. And 1 Corinthians 12 are gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the gift of God. Jesus is referred to as the gift of God. Eternal life is re referred to as a gift of God and God loved the world so much that he gave Jesus so that those are good uh, gifts and there's great value in gifts and uh, to keep it practical and unreligious. The clearest expression of goodwill is generosity. So that is something to um, remember. And um, this is what we're going to get into tonight. Now, in the fivefold ministry, which is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher and pastor, we see the fivefold ministry resident or visible or manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews 3.1 refers to Christ as our apostle and high priest. In Mark 6.4, Jesus is referred to as a prophet. 
uh, in, in Luke 4, 18, he says this, quoting Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel. That's what an evangelist does. He is a herald of good news. In uh, Mark eleven twenty one, Jesus is referred to as rabbi, which is teacher. And in John 10, 11 and 14, Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd, which is what a pastor is. A pastor is a shepherd. So the fivefold ministry all is resident and visible and demonstrated in Jesus. Now, that's very important because um, you're going to see why in a minute. Now, we're going to go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and this is Paul the Apostle. Paul is writing. Um, he is writing to the uh, Ephesian Christians. This is um, a, a church in Ephesus. This would be Turkey today. Paul is imprisoned. So it's important to remember that everything that is being written uh, to them and being said to them in the form of a letter is from a man who's in prison. Another thing to think about as we in, engage with Ephesians is that this is the one book that Paul wrote that has no rebukes in it, which is incredibly supernatural and rare because most of his books are filled with rebukes. But Paul in this uh, letter is writing to a church that is experiencing uh, revival. They're experiencing a powerful move of God. Uh, Ephesus was kind of like a mega church. Um, if you see in the book of Acts later, uh, things are really going well for Paul in Ephesus. And then the Lord tells him to leave. So finally he's doing well and he has to leave. And the elders are so uh, confused and mixed up emotionally that they're crying because they're not going to see Paul anymore. They're not crying that wolves are going to come in and devour the flock. So they're, they're in the feelings and they're not concerned with what is most important, but they are preoccupied by their natural uh, love for Paul. And they're not understanding the spiritual ramifications of him leaving. The principle there is that when there's when there when apostolic authority is not present, wolves can come in and devour sheep. And so, uh, if Daddy's not home, things are not in order. So, some of you are going to get the privilege to see that, uh, and you're going to see that there's a major difference when Daddy's home. So, anyway, uh, now Ephesians four, this is Paul writing. He says this: "I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you." That you walk worthy of the calling which you are called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all, through all and in you all. But to each one of us, a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who ascended is also the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fall, fill all things. So let me read 10 again. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave himself some to be 
apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in him, in, into him in all things, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the body, uh, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Okay. So now Paul in verse one is saying that he is a prisoner of the Lord. He is not a prisoner of Rome. Although he's writing from a Roman jail cell, he refuses, 100% refuses to be defined by his circumstances. He is defined by his relationship to the Lord and the Lord's commitment to him. He is a prisoner of the Lord and he's calling the church, he's calling the people of God to walk worthy of the Lord. And then he speaks about how we treat each other with all lowliness and gentleness, with humility and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Paul is not preoccupied by his circumstances. He is concerned about the people he is responsible for. So he's not like, pray for me, I got to get out of here. Like he does mention that, but he is not in any way preoccupied with that because he is not defined by his circumstances. He's defined by his relationship with the Lord. And so he talks to them about endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And now here is what, what let me just give you this. This is practical in, in a marriage. If there is a, a breach in the peace, there's no unity. So this is what the enemy does. The enemy comes after us to ruffle our feathers, to jostle us, to bring uh, something uh, to, to disrupt the peace so that there's not unity because when there's unity, there's authority and there's a commanded blessing. So this is something that the enemy does in churches, in marriages, in businesses. He tries to bring something to someone that disrupts the peace so that the unity is broken. Unity is held together by the bond of peace. So if you cannot be peaceful, if you cannot interact peacefully, there cannot be unity. That's a very, very important principle. It's practical and it's simple. So, you know, for us as individuals, the enemy comes to disrupt us, to, to ruffle our feathers, to jostle us. And, and so that we are not in agreement with the Lord, but we are out of alignment. And that's where regret, sin, shame, uh, missing it, dropping the ball, fumble, turnover on downs, all those things happen when we are not in agreement and in alignment. So the enemy takes our peace and it's kind of like a spine that is that is out of whack. And so it cannot handle the pressure, but there's going to be injury to the body and we are the body. And so that's obviously not good. Now, 
one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. So because he is in me and because he is in you, how I treat you matters. So, so let's say you're married. Your wife is first Jesus's daughter. She's first the child of God. So that means that how you speak to her or how she speaks to you, that matters. That that's that's really really important to consider when you want to be uh, cranky or or rude or whatever. And we've all been there. We've all fallen short of that. Um, and so we don't want to habitually live. We don't want to make a habit of being like that. And and we want to be quick to say I'm sorry and uh, forgive me. And we want to be gracious and long suffering and kind with each other. Now, this is speaking to the church, so it's not just in a marriage, but it's in uh, the family of families. So it's not just in the family unit, but it's in our family unit as a church. So you got families individually, and then we are a family of families. So uh, that's something to consider. Now, in verse 7, but to each one of us, a grace is given according to the measure. Now, this word measure in Greek is the word metron, and your, your ministry is your metron. So your metron is the place where you have influence, your family, your workplace, your relationships, your resources, your finances. There's all these different things that make up your metron. And if you are faithful in your metron, God will expand and increase your metron or your measure. But if you are unfaithful, then you will not increase and you will stay stuck and then you'll be frustrated and then you'll be upset and you'll be you know difficult to get along with because you feel stuck and no one likes to feel stuck and i know how it feels to feel stuck and it doesn't feel good and stuck makes cranky people and so we don't want to be stuck so but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of christ's gift therefore he says when he ascended on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men verse nine now this is he ascended what does it mean? But also he that descended into the lower parts of the earth. Revelation 1.18, Jesus uh, has the keys of death. Uh, in Greek, it's the word Thanos, uh, like the Marvel guy. Thanos, the word death. He has the keys of death and hell or Hades. And uh, in just a few days, some of us are going to be in the Dominican Republic in a place that is like hell. A garbage dump and uh so that was how jesus described gehenna or hell hades as a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire is in quenched and the, the plight of the poor was the visual of what hell looks like on earth when he spoke to religious people and he only spoke to hell about religious people but anyway in verse 10 that he who descended is above so this is speaking of jesus having the keys of death and hell. Now, if you remember what he said to Peter, he asked Peter this question. He said, who do you say that I am? After he asked Peter, who do men say that I am? And then he said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, we say, I say that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus turns and says, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. Simon Barjona, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven and to you, I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And that rock is not Peter. That's that's what the Catholics teach. But that rock is actually Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus's divinity of his sonship. 
that church is built on that revelation. Uh, our message is Jesus, him crucified, um, him uh, resurrected, him glorified, and him coming again. That's the gospel. Um, we're saved by faith, uh, by faith through uh, by grace through faith. That's a doctrine, but the actual gospel is that Jesus uh, is God. He was manifested in the flesh, crucified, suffered, dead, and was buried. On the third day, he rose uh, from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of God. And one day, he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's the gospel, by the way. And so this verse here is referring to the keys of death and hell that Jesus uh, has, and then he gave to Peter. Now, this is important because... He's going to say in verse 11, which is where we're getting to, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors for the equipping. The word equipping there is the word like um, like training. It, it's it's um, if, you, if you look into it, you'll see that 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 is the, the idea um, of this word. Um, making fit. That's also another way it says it. Um, and so this this is something because in the earth today, there are two houses, so to speak. There is the house uh, that entertains where church is a show. It is a production. All of the effort is on a show. That is the entertainment model where. It's about the show and the performance and all that stuff. And who, the Lord has raised up uh, Kanye West, a crazy man, uh, who on his last CD sells the church people that this is a mission, not a show, which is a very interesting thing for an entertainer to tell the church that that's how badly the church needs to be told that that's how far the church has drifted when a rapper is telling the church that this is a mission, not a show that tells you that we have strayed very, very far as a church and as a nation. And so there's two types of houses. There is a house of training where it's like you're going to the gym and they're saying, come on, man, one more rep. Come on, man, two more, two more, breathe, breathe, push, push. Come on. Like where, where, where this is like, you're here to get trained. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to, I'm here to encourage you. Yes, but you are here to get trained for your Metron. You have a Metron. You have a measure of faith. You have a sphere of influence. You have a job, a family, resources. You have somewhere that God sent you. There's a purpose for your life. There is a mission for your life. And my job is to arm you for that to teach the word in the context of you understanding how can you be prepared to represent Jesus in that sphere of influence? How can you be faithful with what he's given you? So this is important because you have two houses. You have the house of training and the house of entertaining. You have the house of Saul who misused worship for himself, and you have David who worship was for God. So there's, there is two conflicting houses in the earth. The, 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 um, how do you say it? The, the, the entertaining model, if you see the entertaining model, it always produces men that wind up on the news. That's what it produces. It produces people that do sinful stuff, that abuse power, that do all types of crazy things. It's because the structure is created to chew people out 
and spit them up because it's built on entertainment, a one-man show, and a big personality. That is not what we're about. I'm not against wealth. I'm not against influence. I'm not against any of those things. But that is not the point. This is training. You are in training. Paul said to Timothy, uh, training, equip, find faithful men that are able to teach others. So this idea of equipping is so that you would be fit uh, in an ethical sense. That's that's another um, uh, way to say it. There's there's a bunch there. Um, the, the word also telos is is a, a fulfillment of completion. So you're talking about equip people for them to complete and to finish their assignment, for them to be uh, fit, for them to be ethically sound, for them to be morally correct, for them to be sober-minded, uh, tender-hearted. These are these are things that this is this is the Christian life, right? Why why do why do why is it important that we stay sober? The Bible talks about being sober-minded and about not being drunk, because if if you get drunk, if you're drunk, you're not you're not you're not you're not tender-hearted. You're about you. You you get into another another zone, you know of, of you you know anytime you are intoxicated with something whether it's alcohol or it's the need for something before God, anytime something becomes first, that's a real, real no-no. And that's going to put you uh, in, in, a, in a bad place. So we don't, we don't want to obviously do that. Now, the apostle is someone who sent. Now, what I'm going to tell you is not specifically in the Bible. This is not anti-biblical. It's more extra-biblical. And so the fivefold ministry... Uh, many times it's likened to a hand where the apostle is the thumb and the prophet is the pointer finger that points and the the middle finger is the evangelist who goes out and the the pastor is the ring finger who focuses on covenant and relationship and the teacher is 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 the one that keeps it all together because without the bible we, we go nuts we go crazy so this is like in a, this is like a metaphor for the fivefold ministry. Some people think that it's a fourfold, that the pastor and the teacher are together. That is not correct. Uh, five is a number of grace. It's a number of gifts. There's a whole bunch of reasons why it's five. But if you've ever met a true teacher, a true teacher is not a pastor. A pastor is someone who is really preoccupied with people. And a teacher is someone who is really preoccupied with the text. So the pastor wants to bring the text to the people and help the people with the text. The teacher doesn't really care as much. He wants to focus on the text and let the text talk and you apply the text yourself. The evangelist is someone who's concerned about souls. The prophet is wants to hear from God, wants to know what God is saying. And the apostle is the overseer of the whole thing. And many times, like when you start a business, you're the janitor. Uh, you're the social media director, you are the CEO, the CFO, you are like the errand boy. And many times it's the same with an apostle because they start something. In, in the New Testament, pastors do not plant churches. They care for people. So in the New Testament context, apostles 
plant churches. And so they have to be able to put their fingers and their hands on the whole situation, similar to someone who maybe in the natural sense is an entrepreneur and they learn a business and then they hire people and, and then, you know, it moves forward, but they're the ones who start it. And, and so that's, that's another thing, but as uh, apostles, Jesus hijacked a worldly word and used it to define a kingdom purpose. So apostles were from Rome and they would be sent out to colonize a foreign land. So one of the things about ancient Philippi, they said that ancient Philippi was more Roman than Rome. So the further you got from Rome, the more statues and the more culture and, and the more this stuff was there because an apostle is someone who is sent to colonize earth with heaven. So that this is the mission of making uh, the world actually a better place, like, but for the kingdom from a kingdom perspective. So that's part of the apostolic mission. And uh, Paul, he was an apostle. He wrote more about the prophetic than prophets because they have to understand how this whole thing works in the context of the fivefold ministry. Now, I specifically have people in our church because. I believe in the fivefold ministry and you being equipped to be powerful in your metron. So that's why there'll be other people who come who carry different gifts and different graces that I don't have to impart to your life, to encourage you and to help equip you so that you can be successful, uh, productive, powerful, um, fruitful, faithful in your metron or your measure or the place where the Lord has given you influence. And I, I say that because you have to remember one thing. The most valuable thing that you have is your testimony. So the enemy will attack your health because he wants your testimony. The enemy will attack your finances because he wants your testimony. The enemy will attack your job or your spouse because he wants your testimony. He wants to jostle you and ruffle you so that you cannot be united to the Lord in purpose so that the authority of God doesn't flow. And so that you represent God in a way that is not really is not really accurate and it's not really powerful. Yesterday I was doing a podcast. I get a, a, a message from my wife. Her car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, like in the middle of on Route 17 again, in the middle of me doing a podcast. The enemy, what is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to ruffle my feathers and jostle me literally while I am recording a podcast. What do we do? We continued with the podcast. My wife was okay. By the time she got home, the guy who took the car off the truck drove the car into our driveway, the car that didn't drive. So you have to understand that when uh, you are on assignment or when you are on mission, there is warfare that tries to break uh, break out against you to distract you from the thing that you should be doing so that the enemy takes your peace so that you're you're not you're not united with the lord in purpose you're not united with the lord in focus so that the authority of god doesn't flow from you and it's like you're shooting blanks that's not uh how how we're supposed to be we're supposed to be united and aligned so that there's authority and power on what we're doing and um anyway and the, and and the person who shared the podcast and what we were doing is the person that had thousands of people looking at his story tagged me on it 
and then had 70. So that, that's interesting. But we're bothering the devil, so that's exciting. But, but anyway, um, th- this is encouraging because God has given gifts to men. And these, these men are actually gifts and should be treated as gifts. And they are given to the body of Christ, not to entertain the body of Christ, but to train the body of Christ. Think of, uh, you know, you got a head coach and then you got an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. You got a general manager. You got a whole team of people that are trying to make sure what is executed on the field is, is a winning is a winning recipe. So th- these um, these ministries are to equip you. That, that's very important. These are gifts and these people should be treated as gifts. That's important that you treat someone who is a gift as a gift if you want to have access to that gift, right? So that's that's important because honor, it, it makes what someone else is carrying accessible to you. You will never receive from what you can't honor. That That's 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 really, you know, something that uh, I, I, dishonor has a lot of people stuck. But anyway, and he gave some. So he is Jesus and Jesus, gave his life and jesus gave these people to the church so these are the gifts that i'm referring to the fivefold ministry are gifts and they they are not about titles they are about vocations so it's not just about a title i got a title no one cares about a title we care about a vocation and yes i use the title and i honor the title especially when guests come in because if you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. Again, honor makes what, what a, a person has accessible to you. And dishonor cuts you off from the supply of the thing that they have that you need. So that's that's another thing. But anyway, he gave himself some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, some pastors, teachers uh, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So there is a work that you have to do. Now, the word ministry there is the word diakonos, it is a uh, deacon, it is someone uh, who waits tables. Now, we I was just telling the, the West New York group about this last night, Sarah and I were in Panama, and we could not even get half of our drink empty. We don't drink, so it was like Perrier, overpriced water, whatever. But we could not even get half of that cup empty before they were coming to fill it. So part of service is being able to be attentive and to be able to meet a need before someone even asks for that need to be met. So that's, that's the opposite of selfishness. Selfishness says that I am completely preoccupied with me, with my life and what I want. It is the opposite of service and ministry. It is the direct 100% opposite. And welcome to a culture that has never been more self-absorbed and has never had more opportunities that we naturally and organically self-absorbed. For example, let's say we're all together and we have an incessant need to look at our phone. And so we're on the phone, on the phone, on the phone, on the phone, on the phone. And that we don't even realize that, but many times that is an act of self-focus i am focused on what i want to do what i want to see 
and I'm not focused on the person in front of me. So I have found that the most valuable meetings I have with people have less to do with phones and more to do with the person in front of me. And so that's that was free. But anyway, uh, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith unto the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now, when someone really knows Jesus, it's really beautiful to be around them because they're gracious, they're kind, they're patient, they're, they're not they're easy to be around. They, you're not worn out being around them. You're actually encouraged and edified and strengthened because they have the eternal smile. They're happy. They have joy in their life. They are thankful. And, and these are easy people to be around, people that really know Jesus. And the, the purpose of us knowing him and coming up into a place of maturity is so that we're no longer tossed around to and fro by all these different doctrines or these philosophies or these ideas or these different things that would try to distract us and tempt us and draw us away from service in the kingdom because it comes down to am i going to be serving the purposes of the kingdom or am i going to sell serve self-serving self-focused and on me because ministry is not about me ministry is about we ministry is about others so that's something it's like parenting you're like oh um you know i don't feel like uh, cleaning up nobody cares what you feel like doing you have to clean up it's like, oh, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for that. But listen, when those kids come, like Brett and Mary, they're going to have a tremendous awakening of, wow, like th this is like, you know, I have like these kids for years and I'm like, this is not, this is not going away. Like this, this mess that I, that I, that I cleaned up before I slept, when I woke up, it's worse. Like this, I'm not, I'm not ready for this. Like, and well, you got to get ready because it, that that's it. You know, this is what you sign up for. And that's the same thing with ministry, because ultimately a lot of ministry is dealing with a mess. It's dealing with the messiness of sin, the messiness of being preoccupied, the messiness of busyness, all these other things that we're all we're experts at making all of us are like good at making a mess and, and stuff. So that's that's part of ministry. But now, once you grow up into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, it's like saying you become a mature expression of Jesus. So you have your own you, your hair, your hair, you know, lips, nails, eyes, whatever you do, earrings. So you're you, but it's him. You're not full of you. You're full of him. So it's you're the shell. It's like you. But you're not full of you you're emptied of you and full of him which is really that's uh that's beautiful okay so and we're not tossed around to and fro by all these different ideas that are dehumanizing um that that are deceptive cunning that are ultimately out to rob us in reality actually um and so anyway but speaking the truth in love, that is also a sign of maturity in Christ where you're able to say the truth, but your motive is love. So I'm not saying what I want to say to hurt someone or because I'm frustrated, but I am saying what I want to say because I love them and I want to help them. That's a very, very different spirit to operate in. Recently, the Lord had gave me a fresh reminder 
that people will disappoint you. And I'm saying, yeah, I know that. I, 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 I'm feeling it. I get it. I see it. But then he said, but they don't need your disappointment. They need hope. So, so we, we, have to, we have to learn to take our disappointment to the Lord, to share the shortcoming, but in a way that's gracious and gives hope and says, I believe there's more for you. Let's keep moving forward. I, I believe that God has good things for you. Because when you hear the truth and it's seasoned with grace, grace is the empowering of God to be able to walk in that truth, which is different from you beating someone up with your words and giving them a piece of your mind and telling them that they're, they failed you, they failed God and they're a failure versus saying, here's where you drop the ball. Let's recover the fumble and let's move the ball down the field. Right. Cause football season's coming. Right. Is it here? It's here, isn't it? It's here. It's here. So anyway, it just feels too hot for it to be here, but anyway, I'm, I'm happy. I, anyway. All right. So now um, who is the head of the church? The pastor is not the head of the church. His wife isn't the head of the church. The deacon board is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. That's that's always important to remember. Um, whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. This is important. We are knit together by what we, through what we give, not through what we take. So Let's say you're going to get married and you're going to go into a marriage and, and you're in the marriage for what you can get. You're going to have a miserable marriage. If you go to the marriage for what you can give and he goes to the marriage for what he can give. Then you're going to have a good marriage because you are both bringing something to the table instead of taking something from the table. This is what I learned in my life. I have learned that uh, people have needs and there's some needs that only God can meet, but there's other needs that humans, we, we're here to help each other. And if you focus on what you can give, and if you are someone who uh, gives more than you take, you will always, always have more than you need. There, there's a rule there. It's a law in the spirit. And, and it's the law of sowing and reaping. The Bible says if, if a man uh, wants to have friends, he must first show himself friendly. So before I ever intend to reap anything, I first intend to sow. And that's not just money, actually. Um, that's, that's a bunch of different things. You want to have a good friend? Be a good friend. You, you want to have a good marriage? Then contribute to the marriage. You, you want to have, I mean, this is something you, you have to just really get in your mind because we are knit together and joined together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working or the energy or the power by which every part does its share. So that means that God, when God puts you in a body, he expects you to do your share. It's my job to help empower you with truth, with teaching, with encouragement, with correction, with Okay, we're going to have to have this talk. Okay, we're going to do this. Hey, have you thought about that? To help the process so that you can do your part. What happens in a marriage when someone does their part, doesn't do their part? No good. What happens in a business when everyone is waiting on you or, or you're waiting on someone and they didn't do their part? I cannot upload a video someone didn't edit. So, so now you are waiting 
on someone to do their part. And now let's just say, you know, your, your physical body doesn't do its part. You're going to, you're going to get, you're going to get injured. You, you are going to like literally injure yourself. This is, this is a very, very important thing because, um, the, the, many churches are destroyed because they think that they pay the pastor and then he does the ministry that you are not going to kill me and destroy my family. Cause you don't want to do your part. Find another church. You're not going to do that to me. You are equipped and getting equipped so that you can do your ministry. And we, with a small a small group of people right now, we have a powerful group of people that God is raising up. Different preachers, different worship leaders, a whole bunch of people want to do food, this, that, outreach, graphics, people calling, I want to serve here, I want to do this. It's all starting to happen. But now I have to keep encouraging and equipping people and arming them to be armed and dangerous and powerful in their metron. But... The response to that is that you do your part, you do your share. It's really, really destructive when people do not do their part, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a ministry, whether it's a business. It's very, very important. And my, my encouragement to you is that you pray to God and ask God, God, what is my part in this marriage? God, what is my assignment in this church? God, what, what unique gift and skill set do I bring to my place of work? How can I move the ball down the field? For me, I'm going to give you old school talk. Old school talk is that anything I'm committed to, it will have from me time, talent, treasure. Three things, always. You want to be, you want to serve at rescue? Time, talent, treasure. You you want to you want to be successful with anything? It will require time, talent, treasure. So time is you literally spending actual like time on something like literal watch time, time. Number one, number two, talent. Talent is a unique skill set that you have that helps move the ball down the field. Like Monica came and she said, Hey, I want to do the graphics for the podcast. Boom. That's a practical example. She has a talent and she's using it to further the mission treasure. That's money tithing, offering, uh, giving. Um, if someone has a need, you know about it. On the low, you kind of help them. Time, talent, treasure. These are things that are essential to move anything forward. You you want to renovate your house? It's going to require time, talent, treasure. You you want to have a good marriage? It's going to require time, talent, treasure. You, you want to have a successful business, time, talent, treasure. You want to serve in the kingdom, time, talent, treasure. You want to get better at a specific something. It's going to require all of that. It's going to take something from you before you get anything out of it. So that's that's something uh, just to remember. Now, I'm going to go back to just for two minutes on the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, because these are the, uh, the gifts. These gifts are people. It's not about a title. It's about a vocation. Um, and they, a seed always reproduces after its kind. So the, the, the seed, you know, or, or the fruit rather of an evangelist is not souls. 
the the ref, the fruit of um a pastor is not people oh i feel so better the pastor talked to me today he said hi to me or he encouraged me that's great but that's not the fruit of a pastor the fruit of a pastor is other pastors the fruit of an apostle is other people sent out to do the work of the kingdom the fruit of a prophet is not just prophecy but it's it's raising up prophets and raising up people that give the perspective and the mind of God to the people of God. A seed always reproduces after its kind. And so leaders, the, the goal of leaders is not to produce more followers. That is also the goal of leaders is to produce more people that can lead other people. That was what Paul said to Timothy, find faithful men who are able to teach others. So there's many times that there's men that are faithful, but they're not able to teach others. Then there's men that they can teach people, but they're not living what they're seeing. They're not living what they're saying. That's why he said faithful men that can teach others. That Not one, not just someone who can talk and influence people and tell people, you got to do this, you got to do that. But people who are faithful and who can train others. And the way you train others is by your life, by how you live, by the example, by what you speak, by what you do. Um, it's not just motivating other people. It's not just, it's more than that. It's letting them in on how you live and how you na navigate life and choices and family and, and all that stuff and how you respond to hardships or disappointments or even opportunities. These are, that's where the discipleship process happens in real life, where people make a decision, where, where are decisions made? Many times real discipleship doesn't happen because the place that people make decisions from is, is hidden, is private. It's like, this is my life. I go to church here. But, but the gospel has to come all the way down into the places where we desire and decide that, that, that this thing has to go real, real, has to penetrate, keep going and until it gets in here. Like, like has to really thick headed, you know, some of us are crazy. But it has to eventually get into here and here and that longest 18 inches in the world from the heart to the head. And, and it has to kind of then really, really get in there and how we respond in our reflexes and uh, what we're able to do in, in serving the Lord and his people. So anyway, I hope that that was helpful. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.